so we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, I, um, I've been gone for the past two Sundays, so we're kind of jumping back in and just kind of bring us up to speed and maybe talk a little bit about the past couple weeks. We talked about Tower of Babel first, kind of got started there, how, you know, it's this great picture of how we're just radically... Humanity is radically turned in on ourselves, um, very self-centered, um, and we're all trying to make a name for ourselves, and that leads to the complete fracture of all relationships. And we talked about how um, the next time we got together, we talked about how God is a relational being, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we're to reflect His image, and part of that means that we are involved deeply in relationships and move towards one another in our relationships. And then I think it was the next time that we talked about um, being authentic and vulnerable and transparent in our relationships, how the gospel really sets us free to do that. And then while I was on, Frank uh, and Steve led on serving and forgiveness were the topics that, that I gave them. Um, can anybody hit maybe some key things that y'all talked about during those weeks if you were here? What about the topic of forgiveness? Y'all remember anything? We should forgive people. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know. Which one did you do, Frank? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Um, he had some key points, which are essentially, you know, since we live in a world filled with sin and our relationship with each other, we're going to have, you know, we're going to be sinning against others and be sinning against that forgiveness is mm-hmm. a necessary component of continuing relationship that we don't forgive. We need fracture. Yeah. Forgiveness is driven by having received forgiveness and our ability to be able to forgive others given to us the power to abide and receive forgiveness and giving much, we love much. Well, um, what about when Steve talked about uh, serving in the relationships? Does anybody remember any key ideas there? Thoughts? Talked about spiritual gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. Good. Good. Anything else? Well, I can't really contribute because I wasn't here. So <laughs> um, I, I hope it was good, though. Um, so, but th- those are definitely some good things to talk about. Um, so, you know, we we all kind of know this that relationships are really what life is all about, right? It's all about our relationships. Um, but at the same time, we're having this, um, and I've talked about it before, as being kind of this, we're kind of schizophrenic when it comes to relationships. Like we crave them, we know that's what we're made for, and yet we pull back from relationships instinctively because they're scary, they're broken, they're hard, they're they're messy and all this kind of stuff. And uh and so what we need to begin to understand about our relationships is that so we're alienated in all of our relationships with one another. Um, and a lot of times we run around trying to figure out what the cause of that alienation is. Is it my past experiences, his past experiences, her past experiences? Is it uh, the dysfunction in my relationships or, or whatever? It could be any number of things that we're looking at. And what the Bible is constantly saying to us is saying that the cause of all our alienations and all our relationships is first our alienation with God. And so He has to move towards us in order to restore and reconcile us to Himself in order that any of our other relationships would ever be healed. And so that's kind of what we're talking about. Like, like Frank was saying about his, um, his time when he talked about forgiveness, um, It's really the gospel that empowers us and sets us free to forgive, right? Because we have to understand that we are forgiven before we can ever show forgiveness um, for Jesus. And the same really happens, I don't know what was said about about serving, but 
God Himself comes to serve us, to wash our feet, um, and uh, and He serves us by uh, giving up His life for us, and so that sets us free to serve others uh, because we've already been served. Um, so today we're going to talk about the topic of hospitality. Um, what do you what do you think of when, when I say hospitality, or how would you describe hospitality? Okay, opening up your home, good. Inviting. Inviting, yeah. okay. I mean, I, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be hospitality in the home, but uh-huh. you could do various things. Okay. Uh, you know, I guess hospitality here. Okay. In the church, um, you know, whatever. All right, well, what are, let's talk, talk about maybe both of those, like, what does hospitality in your home look like? What characterizes it? Making people feel welcome, putting them at ease. Okay. They don't feel like they're imposing to stop by. Yeah. So that's good. So not throwing your family out, but more sure. that too. <laughs> well, sometimes that's part of making them feel welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Here is the problem. Good. Good. By leaving your home, <laughs> you can stay. What else about hospitality in our homes? Anything else to jump Have, out? Having people there regularly, feeding okay. them, you know, giving them, you know, making them feel like part of the family. Feeding them, yeah, being practical and um, in the way we care for, it. show them our care. Um, good. Not expecting anything in return. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's good. It's very good. Good. Well, what about uh, hospitality in other places? Like Marty mentioned, the church. Like, how how could we? I mean, we just. I mean, this is very practical. In in you know an hour, a bunch of people are going to show up here. Um, how are we going to be hospitable this morning? And what are some of the ways we can be hospitable here? Look people in the eye, say good morning, shake a hand. Yeah. Try to remember a name. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's good. Try is a keyword. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but moving towards people, not not waiting for them to come to you kind of thing. Okay. Setting them at ease so they don't feel like an outsider. Mm-hmm. And that they feel drawn in and comfortable. Yeah. Safe place. Good. Good. What else? I guess, again, you know, not expecting anything in return. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and invite them back, mm-hmm. but you know, if they're new to church, maybe they won't come back for a while. Yeah. Okay. One thing I really like about this particular church is the fact that you'll have a bulletin, mm-hmm. and so like mm-hmm. not having ever like last summer was the first time I ever came here, so not having been to church and all not, you know, you do all the songs and the hymns, and then in particular the you know, in Invitation. Yeah, yeah, that's So, you know, having that on the bulletin and all that, it's not like these are secret practices that we sit here and you yeah. know, do. It's everybody is open and able to all along mm-hmm. without feeling like, you know, they're not a part of the church kind of thing, you know? Right. Because some people will be like, well, I don't know any of this stuff, so I can't be a part of here anyway. If it's like somebody who's first time at church. Yeah. That's good, yeah. Nobody's hitting you up with a secret handshake. Yeah. Secret handshake. No, that's good, yeah. I mean, yeah, sometimes just the way we use kind of insider language, you know, we're in a group of three or four people and we share an inside joke and, you know, it's it's funny for two people, but it isolates the other two people that feel outside. Um so yeah, thinking through those things. Um, anything else? I, I mean, this is kind of a big deal. I, mean, <clears throat> I think you know we're we kind of pride ourselves in the South in a way for being very hospitable people. I don't know. You know, I'm not saying it's true or not. I mean, but you know, that's that's what the word on the street is. So, anything else we think of when we think of hospitality? Who do we show hospitality to? Probably, I was going to say probably people like us. 
Okay. Yeah. More likely. All right. That's what I was going to say. People were familiar with more often than not the ones that received the hospitality, not the stranger. Mm, yeah, you think of what Jesus did. Yeah. How he reached out to the people that were kind of the misfits or whatever. <clears throat> okay. And so, I mean, he, he did it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you think about it. If the aim of hospitality is to make somebody feel comfortable, showing hospitality to people that are not like us makes us very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So being uncomfortable to make other people comfortable. Yeah. There's a cost to hospitality for sure. Um, so why is it that... Uh, wh- why do we show hospitality to people who are like us? What, what makes that easy, I guess? Because you, you think you know how they're going to respond. Mm-hmm. Versus somebody that's not like you, or they're going to respond the same way to how we show hospitality normally. Right. That's good. Expectation. Mm-hmm. You kind of have that feeling of, well, they're going to agree. Fear of failure. Back to the unknown. Also, I shy away from it. Try to stay close to that comfortable line. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's really why we tend to not show hospitality to strangers or to people who are not like us. Um, See, I don't know that I agree with that. <coughs> I don't know. I guess just my years and years in sales and everything else, but we usually show hospitality to those people that we feel like we want to come back around um, for some reason. So if a stranger walks in, but that stranger happens to be President Trump, everybody's going to go out of their way to show President Trump hospitality because they probably don't want him to come back. You know, you need something from him. You want something from him. Your family, you show hospitality because... Even though they may be drive you crazy, it's like, well, it seems like it's important that my kids know that their aunts and uncles and their grandparents, right? But if a stranger walks in who doesn't bring any quote-unquote value to your life, and they don't show up again next week for church, what do you care? I mean, maybe I'm being a little blunt, but does it impact your life? No. Do you, do you think about, like, you might not even remember they were here last week. And so, I, I think, you know, you show hospitality to people who there's some sort of reason that you want to come back in most cases. At least that's been my experience, or that you think you're going to gain something from them. And that's where I, I understand what, what Marty's saying about you don't expect anything in return, maybe not financially, but you accept, expect some sort of reciprocation. I expect them to give me you know, an invite back or to come spend more money with me or to fill in the blank. Well, maybe instead of those being two different things necessarily, I'm kind of more taking it like Marty's saying, this is what hospitality should be. Um, And then when we're talking about we we tend to more easily show hospitality to people who are like us, we are thinking a lot of times in terms of benefit. Right. Right. He's like me. I get along. Right. We, um, you know, it's kind of like I need you to like me because I need you to make me feel good about myself, kind of deal. Um, and there's all kinds of different benefits that I think we look at, which is what makes, yeah, we can open ourselves up to people who are like us because there is some real benefit to their liking us, right? Um, it's hard to open ourselves up to strangers and outsiders and fringe people because we don't see what that benefit could be. Like, like your illustration of, yeah, if they don't come back to church, does it really affect me? Is it really going to change my life kind of deal? Um, so, yeah. Well, all, all, of, all those are great thoughts. Um, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is, and we're going to talk about another story this morning, but is the story of Zacchaeus um, and Part of the reason it's probably one of my favorite stories is because I still remember the song when I was literally, you know, this wee little man named Zacchaeus. Um, but, you know, here's the this, this story of Zacchaeus is here's this Jewish tax collector, which that's like immediately two strikes against you. Um, you're a tax collector for one, right? Um, this, nobody ever likes tax collectors. I mean, it's almost April. Um, <laughs> We don't like them, uh, 
But to be a Jewish tax collector is even worse because Rome is the occupying government. So you're working for the enemy um, to collect his taxes to pay for the expansion of his kingdom. And if there's a third strike, it would be that normally tax collectors, and Zacchaeus would have been one of these, is the way you make your living is you rip people off, right? You say, okay, I know I'm going to have to give Rome $15, so your taxes are $30. That way I'm taking a little bit off the top, right? And so there's Zacchaeus, and he's this, he's basically a thief, right? And um, he's hes pocketing the difference of what he makes, right? And hes he is this person that we're talking about when we talked about the Tower of Babel, this person who is building a name for himself. He's totally turned in on himself. What can I get out of it, right? Um, and then he encounters Jesus. Um, and Zacchaeus is a picture of someone who is radically changed from being inwardly turned to being radically outward, uh, outwardly turned, right? He, he explodes um, outwards in generosity where before he had been the opposite of generous and selfish and stealing. And he doesn't just give back um, people, if I stole $15 from you, he doesn't just give them $15 back. So he gives them uh, four times that amount. Um, so he's just, you know, over the top uh, transformed. Um, and so what I want us to talk about this morning is really what it would look like for us if we had that same encounter with Jesus, um, and if we were turned from being radically inward um, to being radically outward focused um, in, a, in others of hospitality. So um, turn to Luke chapter 14, or pull it up on your iPhone or whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm not turning anymore. Um, yeah, what was the thing at old children's camps where you had to like find the scripture? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, that's just a thing of the past. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, probably about eight years ago, Jennifer and I we were coming back from the beach, I think, and uh, for some reason we didn't have our kids, and we we're like, oh, let's just drive away through the night, and we'll we'll get a hotel somewhere in Birmingham. So from Birmingham to Memphis, we tried to get a hotel. Every hotel was booked from here to Memphis. So we ended up just driving back. And the reason they were booked was because some sword drill thing. Oh, wow. (laughs) Sword drill tournament. It was something. I was like, man, that is crazy. It was a regional thing. Um, Nuts. But anyway. uh, All right. Somebody volunteered to read here. Let's read... um, let me see where I want to start. Um, let's start in verse 12. Verse 12 through verse 24. Who wants to read? I'll do it. Thanks. <clears throat> okay, uh, Luke 14, verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> but he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everyone is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. <clears throat> and the other said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly 
to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you command has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges um, and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. All right, so um, here's what we got here. We've got in the opening verses, there's, you know, kind of a lesson that Jesus is giving. And then in the later verses, he's backing up and he's illustrating what he's teaching uh, by a parable. Is it warm in here, you Yes. Yes? I think it is. <laughs> See if, yeah. Um, this is what could be, could be the coffee, too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel fine. I have my class. <laughs> <laughs> are you Are you here? about the resurrection of the just. 14 and 15, that's not right. I'm missing here. Um, yeah, it's 14. It is 14. It is 14, okay. To be repaid at the resurrection of the just, that's one phrase. And then it is verse 15 uh, where they talk about, this guy talks about, blessed is, the, is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Um, those are pretty loaded phrases um, for these people in this culture, um, what do you what do you think they're talking about here? Um, kind of pick up on a little bit of it, I think. Um, well, yeah, I mean, there's a resurrection. Uh-huh. There's a resurrection of the just, <clears throat> and there's a resurrection of the damned, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, obviously, when Jesus broke bread with the disciples in the Last Supper, you know, he said that you know he would eat with them again. Mm-hmm. And you know, drink wine with them again. Mm-hmm. So um, it wasn't like this is the end. There was right, there right. was a furtherance. Yeah, that picture that Jesus gives it comes a little bit later, but that picture that he gives a little bit later is building on that same thing. Like there is coming a day um, when there will be this resurrection, right? When all things will be made new, and the idea where bread comes in is. It's this idea that when all things are made new, there's going to be this grand and glorious and huge feast and celebration, right? Um, and so um, this past week, uh, Jennifer turned 40, um, so you can tease her about that when you see her. But uh, we celebrated by going out to Restaurant Iris uh, in Midtown. Has anybody been to Restaurant Iris? Yeah. Okay. Never heard of it. Oh, it was amazing. Um, I'm pretty sure I've been doing that. You went there? Pretty sure my wife was If it doesn't have golden arches, we're not familiar with it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a very special occasion, and we went, and, uh, you know, so the, part of their deal is you can just say, I want the five courses. Um, you tell me what set, I'm going to have. set menu, basically? Huh? It's a set menu? There is a set menu, but you can tell your waiter, waitress, you know, instead of picking something, I'm just going to tell these are my tastes, this is kind of what I like, you pick for me. And so it's just this kind of like, it's so freaking expensive too. <laughs> but, uh, but it was like, hey, we're going to do it, we're going to blow this money, and and we're going to celebrate, we're going to feast, the whole idea. I mean, I got home, I was so full. Like, I, like, and there's something about, it's French food, so it's like, it's heavier on you than other things. Very rich, and so, um, it was awesome, right? It was this celebration, fulfillment, satisfaction, all this kind of stuff, joy, delight. And that's really kind of what this, this picture is here. That in the resurrection of the just, there's going to be a feast, it's 
be full of joy and delight and satisfaction and all these kind of things. Um, so, um, anyway, let, let's talk about a, another image that I, I think of when I think about this, and I think it's going it, to set you up well for this morning, too, uh, in the sermon. But um, that is um, this, uh, what, is it, what does it mean to be homesick? How would you describe that? Did you ever work at a camp? You did? Yeah. Um, like stay the night away from home for kids? Yeah, but it's a big yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. There's no air conditioning in there either. Oh, gosh. You miss the things, the luxuries, or the, mm-hmm. the everyday things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You find yourself just kind of like, man, I wish I was home. <laughs> you know, and, what, and whatever that thing for home is, it could be like, Sleeping in my own bed, uh, just not having six roommates in here with me, or my mom's food, or it, it could be anything. I remember working at camp, and that was always like the thing with the kids. I worked at Alpine Camp, and those kids, the youngest kids, came for two weeks, which was a long time for like <laughs> kindergarten. Yeah, um, that's long. But then the other, the rest of the summer was month long camps. Oh, uh, and. Uh, Kids would get so homesick, and it was just like this. There's this idea of home, and like, no matter how much fun stuff you threw at them, like <laughs> canoeing, you know, rappelling down this rock wall, or horseback riding, or whatever. I mean, great stuff, fun stuff. But they were just miserable throughout it all because it wasn't home, right? Um, and you know, home's got this place of comfort and security. It's this place where and I feel like I can let my guard down and be myself and relax and be replenished. It doesn't drain you and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's what this ultimate feast is about. It's about a homecoming, right? And that's why there's a celebration, because there's a homecoming for us. Um, so um, I'm going to use this story again in, um, in the sermon, but in C.S. Lewis' Chronicles of Narnia's, Stories uh, right at the end, right there's this uh, the children and all the animals are coming into the new well the new heavens and the new earth they call it the new Narnia um, and everything's being made new around them and it's glorious and they talk about how the rocks and the, every blade of grass just look like it meant more right it's more real is is Lewis's kind of picture and there's this one character. Um, who says, who just bursts out and cries, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew until now. And for Lewis, if you read other, others of his writings, that's really his, his go-to image for what it means to come into God's kingdom is... Uh, you know, I've been looking for this kind of fulfillment in all my life, and I've chased it in all kinds of different ways. But it's now it's being realized what I've what I've really been chasing all my life, and it is a homecoming, right? Um, and um, and so it, it's all about coming home to this ultimate feast. Um, let me see what I wrote here. Um, oh, I know what I want to say. I, I was listening to. Um, to NPR one day, and um, one of my, my things, I mean, I guess if you've been here for like a month, you've heard me say this, all of you have been here much longer, so you've heard it many more times than that, but I'll say, say stuff like, you know, every other story is trying to copy the good story of the gospel, right? Um, and so all of our best stories have those elements, and so... You know, one of my favorite authors, G.K. Chesterton, talks about this a lot with fairy tales um, and how fairy tales, he says, are more than true because they really speak to that that deep reality. And um, anyway, um, I was listening to NPR and I heard that the movie The Beauty and the Beast is like breaking all kinds of records. And it's like... That is not a new story. That story (laughs) has been around. We've seen all kinds of versions but for whatever reason, we still can't get enough of it. Um, and what G.K. Chesterton said when he was writing about the story of the human and the beast um, is he said the deep reality that it points to is that 
we all must be, um, how do you put it? Um, it, it's that beauty has to love the unlovable beast before you can ever become lovable, right? And there's this deep truth that we all hunger for that's present in that story. Uh, and the ultimate feast is really about that. It's, it, it's the ultimate story that we've all been longing for and chasing in every every different sphere of life. Um, but here, here we got to go on quickly here in the track of time. Here's my next thing. I want to talk about the astonishing grace in this passage. Um, so if we're talking about this parable that shows up in verses 16 to 24. Just to give a little cultural background for what you read here. So two invitations go out. This master sends one invitation out, and then he goes out and he sends his servant back with another invitation. And so these invitations are kind of like their version of the RSVP system. Like, I sent you one invitation, you said you were coming, now I'm sending my servant out to gather you in because the meal's coming, I know how many people to prepare for, and all that kind of stuff. And so... What happens in this story is there's this great offense because um, the people have RSVP'd and said, I'm coming to that. And then they sit, he sends his servant out again, and they say, well, life got busy. Uh, I don't have time to come to your party. Um, I don't want to be there, right? And so, and it's all these things like somebody's got to inspect oxen, somebody gets married, uh, you know, buying land. So, but here's the thing, and they talk about inspecting land and oxen, you know, right? No, nobody inspects land and oxen after you buy them, right? Uh, it, it's just a major insult. Um, so the, the point is they're too busy. Their affections are on other things, not on the master, not on his feast. Um, so how, do, in this story, look at this story, how did the master respond to that rejection? Not offense. Moving on to the next group. Mm-hmm. Move to the next. Yeah. Invitation. Set of invitations. Yeah. So it says, then the master of that, this is verse 21, he became angry and he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And so now he's talking about people like we were talking about when we were talking about hospitality to people who are on the outside, who are not like us, right? Um, and so he says, go bring them in. And then the servant comes back and says, I invited all those. There's still empty seats. He says, yeah, well, you go back out again because I, you know, I still have a feast uh, ready and more seats. And so send them out to the highways and hedges and compel the outside, these outsiders to come in. It says... Uh, this is verse 23. Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Um, so, you know, the interesting thing in this culture um, is that the blind, the crippled, the lame, um, these people, because of their infirmities, they were not allowed to even worship at the temple. They weren't clean enough to come in and worship at the temple. Um, group of homeless outsiders in the hedgeways and all this kind of stuff, these are people that have absolutely blown it at life, right? And they have nothing. Um, they would never, as we're talking about hospitality, in what hospitality should be, never expecting repayment, right? These people can never repay the master of the feast for week. I mean, there's no social capital that's going to be exchanged here, right? Um, so, why do you think he uses this term, especially in verse 23. He uses this interesting word. He says, I want you to bring them and I want you to compel them to come. Why do you think he uses those, those words? Well, if you feel shame, uh-huh. you might not want to come. Right? Okay. I don't fit in there. I'm not welcome there. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be ridiculed. Whatever, therefore I don't. I'm not going to subject myself. It's kind of a class separation thing. We see that even in our society today. Sure. Yeah. Just certain neighborhoods when you're mixed. Mm-hmm. All your bill versus wrong. True. True. Yeah. I, th- I think that's huge. The the shame factor. I think 
there's got to be something where these people are going, yeah, this must be a joke. Somebody's trying to pull it fast. Um, so have you ever seen the movie Central Intelligence with The Rock? <laughs> Very funny movie, by the way. Um, but at the beginning of the movie, oh, yeah, when he's in high school, he's the fat guy. He's, oh, oh that he's this, on that one, yeah. yeah, so he's this you know really overweight fat kid that everybody makes fun of, and you know they play a huge senior prank on him and embarrass him in front of the entire school. Okay. Well, fast forward twenty years, he's the rock. He's the rock. <laughs> <laughs> he's but he still, when he gets around his classmates who torture him, uh-huh. he still can't see that they would accept him because of the history, sure. right? And the point that I'm getting at is, if if your entire life, you know, you felt like an outcast and you've, you've been hurt so much by the, you know, other people, the people who are now inviting you to the party, mm-hmm. this idea that I'm not going to go and expose myself to that kind of hurt intentionally. I've already right. dealt with it. Kind of a lifelong impact that has. Is this on Netflix? I don't know if it's on Netflix. <laughs> I watched it on Netflix. It actually is absolutely hilarious. The Rock was a panty pack the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to be looking for that. I had a friend that started a multicultural church here. And um, it, his church his church was kind of dying off. It was mainly white. And there was another church that was mainly black. And they decided to merge the churches together. He said the first day, when they after they had merged the church together, the black people sat on one side and the white people sat on the other. Hmm. And as he was getting up to say something, he said, or he was thinking, this isn't going to work. That's hmm. what he thought. Because people, the culture, I mean, the, the mentality was to separate. Hmm. Even, in, it, even in the church. I mean, you look at it today. You know, it's like, wow. I mean, this is a real life situation. Uh, sad. That's what happened, and that church didn't last. Yeah, the segregated hour, yeah, uh, exactly. Sunday morning. Um, but uh, yeah, okay. Let's, let's move on here. So yeah, I think we got the idea. They're, they're thinking must be a mistake. I don't want to expose myself to feeling the shame or whatever. But they're you know compelled, uh, forced to come, brought. Uh, to this meal because the master is really saying to them, you're exactly who I want sitting around my table. Um, you know, I, and that's the astonishing grace of it. You know, where you're saying, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been, where you've been living, what you've done, what you look like. I want you here at my table and I want you to experience the fullness of this, you know, delightful, satisfying, joyful meal. Um, I've told this story a number of times. I'll give you the brief version of it since I think you probably all heard heard me tell it before. But so this pastor, his name is some of you probably heard of this guy, Tony Campolo. Yeah, he's got some people, um, but he's got a great story here. Um, but uh, uh, where he is speaking at a conference in Hawaii and he goes into this cafe in the middle of the night and there's these prostitutes there. Do y'all remember the story? Me telling the story before. And so she's about. Uh, she says she's going to have a birthday tomorrow. They laugh at her. They mock her. I mean, dredging up all that shame. Sean was talking about, right? And she's obviously upset. So they leave, and you know, Tony Campolo he says to the the chef or whatever that guy is behind the counter. He says, you know, I want to throw a birthday party for tomorrow night when they come in. And so we have to spread the word and make a cake. And they do that. And, you know, three o'clock in the morning comes their their ritual hour to come to this whole cafe. And uh, and it's packed, you know, with prostitutes and pimps and, you know, the whole deal. And, uh, and so she comes in and she's floored. They sing happy birthday to her. She just like breaks down weeping and it gets like, you know, the pen could drop and somebody could hear it because like nobody knows what to do. And so uh, so Tony Campbell didn't know what to do either. So he just said, let's pray. And uh, so he prayed for this group of people. And then after this whole thing is over, the chef pulls him aside and says, you know, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. You know, what kind of preacher throws a party for a bunch of prostitutes in the middle of the night and says, 
you know, the, basically the kind of preacher that believes in a kingdom of grace, right? That God loves the outsiders, right? And compels them and brings them to come in. And that's the astonishing grace of it all is that God is building a kingdom out of people just like that. Uh, the outsiders, the misfits, the broken, those who've lost that life and those kind of things. All right, I've got to get on to the next point here or else we're not going to be able to finish it. Actually, we're talking about hospitality. Um, all right. Um, let's see here. Um, all right. Um, oh, do y'all remember? Did we talk about my little illustration about centrifugal force in one of these talks? Do y'all remember? Yeah. Okay. So, remind us. What, what did we talk about? What was I meaning when we were talking about that? You remember? Well, it was something about you know you get you know pushed out. Right. Right. And and that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so centrifugal force is that force you feel spinning around, swinging a golf club, spinning around in a merry-go-round or whatever. It's just the faster you go, the more you feel like you're being pushed out kind of deal. And so my, my illustration had to do that with when you're brought into God's love and his, the experience of His love and have been invited into this feast, it naturally propels you out with force to the outsider, right? Um, and so um, here's where I, I think we can bridge some of the gaps when we were talking about earlier when y'all brought up, you know, we show, it's easier for us to show hospitality to those we like and harder to show hospitality to those we don't like. Um, and it fits really well with this uh, story because in this culture, this, this entire culture was built on what's called the patronage system. Uh, is that a new word you all deal with? What is patronage system? You know I'm say friend system? Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. It's this system where, um, you know, it's formed and forged um, in this culture through the practice of hospitality. And, and the idea is you show hospitality to those who could be of some value to you. Um, and that's how it worked. And so if you were, you know, a, a wealthy guy, you would invite other wealthy people to your feast because those people could be a means to your ends later on. And likewise, it was reciprocal and all that. And so Jesus is really, but we could, oh, let me expand this a little bit. We could, we could think about it. Uh, in, in other cases, not just financial, right? People who are going to benefit us emotionally or socially by improving our reputation or advancing our, or maybe they're going to help help us get ahead in our careers or something like that. If we can befriend them, you know, there's some kind of value there, or maybe a sale or, or whatever it is. And so Jesus here is really turning this patronage system upside down and on its head when he and because he's saying here and this is what he said right he said when you give a dinner or banquet don't invite these people in other words don't invite all the people that you would normally invite in your patronage system don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they lest they also invite you in return, in return, and you be repaid. So that's the idea. It's reciprocal, right? Um, and so he's saying, don't do that. Instead, do something else. Instead, he's saying, go out to those people in hospitality and grace who can never repay you, um, and, and lay down your lives in, in costliness for them. Um, see, we naturally enter into relationships of reciprocity all the time. Um, based on what people can do for us, whether that, like I said, whether it be emotionally or financially or career or anything like that. Um, and I think for most of us, that doesn't feel like a convenience to life. Um, I think for most of us, that feels like a necessity to life. Like that's how you survive in this life, is you form these relationships of reciprocity. Um, that can benefit you, you can, there can be a, a fair exchange, right? So uh, the question is, when you read through the Bible and the Gospels, um, how do prostitutes who scandalously wipe uh, the feet of Jesus with their tears, right? 
how do they become so self-forgetful in this kind of culture of reciprocity? Um, or, or how do people like Zacchaeus become so free from self-absorption and self-centeredness that they become radically generous and give away all their wealth? Um, because it would be like, I need that to survive. I need the, the prostitute needs the reputation to survive, maybe. He needs the money to like to survive. But they're giving it all away. They're becoming free. Because what the gospel is really saying is that these people, when they encountered Jesus, they no longer needed the approval of others. Um, they didn't need the security that money could give them, right? They didn't need the status um, uh, that they thought they needed in order to have value in the world. They didn't need the connections that they thought they needed to get an identity. Um, they found all of that when they met Jesus, right? Um, and so now, because they have that, now they're really set free to face outward to other outcasts, right? Um, so how can we... Um, I, I know we talked about opening up our homes and being hospitable there and being hospitable here, but there's, and, and I think those are two huge ones, maybe top of the list for us, um, but there are other places um, in your work, um, at, you know, at your kids' school, all the different spheres we operate in. So the question is, as we end this thing, is really um, to ask the question, how, how do we actually apply this, or how are you going to apply this today, um, and maybe next week. What do you think? I struggle with listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, like Craig was texting me on Friday, mm-hmm. and I was very busy. Mm-hmm. was extremely busy on Friday. And of course, the seven-hour time difference, right? Yeah. He was right in like two o'clock, right in the middle. Like I mean, but it was evident through it. Like, okay, he needs to talk. Like, he needs to communicate something. Like, there's something here. So, okay, let me stop what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. But not just with friends, but also just like when you're engaging with people in your day-to-day life. Like, mm-hmm. actually stop. Like, try to refocus on them and actually listen to what they're saying. Is something mm-hmm. that I can do. Uh, this week, just to show hospitality, show that I actually care about, mm-hmm. excuse me, that I actually care about those, those individuals. Yeah, so. that's huge. Um, people are dying to be listened to. Somebody pay attention to them. Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, uh, I think Mari hit it on the head at the very beginning. True hospitality, again, that has to be welcoming at church or your house, but just interacting with the people. Approaching somebody or have a relationship with somebody that you don't expect anything from. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge deal. It's totally change of the way, like you said, the world works. Mm-hmm. It's the morale, not like you said, that's why we have relationships. Yeah. It's because it's the main benefit for both sides. And so mm-hmm. I think he hit on that at the very beginning is that that's what its definition is. We completely misunderstand the definitions, mm-hmm. which we go back to what Sean said earlier, that his definition is what our definition is. That's what it should be. Yeah. I suspicion, like, when, I don't know. This person's answering a call because of a reason? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, or yeah. not to pick on the salesman in the room, sure. but <laughs> the suspicion of, like, somebody's being nice to me because they want something <laughs> Right? Yes. Yeah, that kind of deal. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, I mean, but what if somebody just listened or move towards me without expecting anything in return. Um, and that would be huge. That would turn <clears throat> turn our world upside down. I remember doing this. Um, I had I took over the women's Bible study. This is several years ago uh, for a series of weeks and did this series on evangelism. So my goal was, okay, every week I'm going to talk about evangelism, but I'm going to give them something very specific to go do that week like a homework assignment, then come back and we'll talk about it. And the, the first one, and the one that generated the most conversation out of all the times, was I told them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find somebody that you know is a non-Christian, and I want you to ask them why they don't like Christianity, 
why they don't like the church, why they don't believe, or whatever, and then just listen. And not like correct them or get defensive, but just listen and say, huh, I understand. And everybody was like blown away by how willing people were to be open to say, you know, um, this is what my problem is. And how appreciative they were of somebody who actually cared enough to listen that was on the inside of Christianity. Um, big deal. Uh, all right, here's how I'm going to finish. Um, <coughs> Let's see. I had like three applications, but I'll just give you this one. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, my favorite quote, an old Scottish uh, preacher guy, uh, he said, For every look at yourself, you need to take ten looks at Jesus. Um, so we are like the people, like, just like Sean was describing for us earlier. We've all got this shame within us, right? And it turns us inward. And when we see how bad we are, it sends us into very bad directions. It, it turns us more inward, um, even. And uh, to, the, to the place where we would not go to a feast if we were invited. And so what Robert Murray McShane is saying is saying, this is how you live the Christian life. For every time you look at yourself, take ten looks at Jesus and see how gracious He is towards you and how loving He is towards you. And it will begin to melt your heart and change you. It will begin to create in you that centrifugal force that pushes you out. So, Alright, that's all i got. And um, I'm going to pray. Unless there's anything else, we've got, we got two minutes. <laughs> good? Alright, let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for the time that we have this morning to discuss and uh, talk about your word. And we thank you for uh, the people like Luke that you use to record this word for us, even to record, record the very words of Jesus so that we could meditate upon him. And um, we thank you for our upside down Savior who came to love those who don't deserve it. Um, who came to compel and bring outsiders like us in. And uh, Father, our prayer is that we would be like the people we read about in the Gospels who encountered Your grace and who were radically and deeply changed by it. And we pray even in this coming hour um, and in this coming week that You would give us time and opportunities to meditate upon the grace of Jesus um, and to seek to practically apply what we've talked about here and to be hospitable to those around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you.